passage we're going to see today has real events, but speak to us about our own uh, experience, but it also speaks to us about Jesus himself. So we've listened to that fantastic hymn. Joel has got really excited, that great Welsh hymn, sung at, uh, just as it was yesterday, at the uh, uh, Wales-England uh, game. And now we're going to look at the part of the Bible that that hymn is taken from, which is Exodus chapter 16. And we're going to continue to do this in the coming weeks. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, looking at the accounts of the, the nation of Israel as they made their way from Egypt, in, from slavery to the promised land. We've been studying how they escaped from slavery, how they miraculously went through the Red Sea, God parted the waters, and two and a half million people walked through on dry land. And then they set out for the promised land. We're going to continue looking at that. And God miraculously then feeds two and a half million people and provides for those two and a half million people every day for those next 40 years. So let's read from Exodus 15. If you've got a Bible handy and you want to follow as I read it, Exodus 15. And we're going to pick up in verse 22 of Exodus 15. And then we're going to read right through to the end of chapter 16. So Exodus chapter 15 verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to the I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail, which is like a small version of a chicken, I guess, came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. 
When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? But they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer, about 2.2 litres, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two overs for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath of the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days are you to gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will uh, not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and bear my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he bread for two days. Stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white, it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an over of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an over of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna forty years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And Moses helpfully writes, an omen is one tenth of an ephah. Clarifies <laughs> <laughs> that for you. Exactly one month after the Israelites had left Egypt, they reached a place called the Desert of Sin. And the Desert of Sin is a desert area in between um, Sinai and, or, or sort of between Egypt and modern Israel, and, and between what well, I guess would be Saudi Arabia today. It's down in that area. And the, word, the name sin has got nothing to do with the English word sin. It's just a, a Hebrew word which sounds like our English word, okay? So don't confuse it with that. But when they got to this desert area, just exactly one month after being miraculously freed from Egypt and seeing God part the Red Sea, two and a half million people walking through on, on dry land, and they've done all of those things, they've seen these amazing miracles, and then the Israelites weren't happy. Despite God miraculously making the, the bitter water at Mara drinkable and sweet, and despite then leading them to Elia, where there were all these, there was all this fresh water, they still weren't satisfied. And the food supplies that they brought with them from Egypt, I guess a month down the road, would probably pretty much have run out. And they wanted some food. They were hungry. They could go back to Egypt. Oh, they could go back to Egypt. Egypt would be so much better. They begin to kid themselves that somehow life in Egypt was wonderful. And they made sure that Moses and Aaron knew that. Look at what it says. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Now, of course they didn't, but in their memories, this was Egypt. But 
you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. God had just rescued them in the most amazing way, phenomenal way, and yet one month in, they wanted to go back. They had very poor memories. They'd been slaves back in Egypt. But God had brought two and a half million of his people out into the desert to, to start. Look at the to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. So God was going to provide for all these people in the most amazing way. Through a great miracle, God would feed two and a half million people with this strange substance that the people called manna. And he would do it every morning, and at night he would provide quails for them to catch. And he would do this every day for 40 years until they entered the promised land. Not just once, but every day for 40 years until they went into the land of Canaan. The people had needs, and God would provide those needs faithfully. God wasn't going to lead them into the, into the desert just to see them die. And that's an encouragement to us, isn't it? When God leads us, he provides for us. When God leads us, he equips us. The people had needs... And God would supply those needs faithfully, and he does, and he did. But here's something really important. God only gave them what they needed. God only gave them what they needed. There wasn't a big buffet bar in the desert, but an all-you-can-eat for $5.99. This was just what they needed for each day. It was just manna in the morning and quail at night. They only had their needs met. Look at verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. If you've got a pen in front of you and your outline, underline that word needs. Underline that word needs. They might have wanted all sorts of fancy food, but they didn't need it. They might have wanted all sorts, but they didn't need it. And you know, there's a huge difference in life between our needs and our wants. God has never promised to supply all our wants, but he has promised to supply all our needs. You know, please don't think that becoming a Christian guarantees you to get all your desires and everything you want in life because it won't and it doesn't. But you can trust God to supply your needs. And there's a massive difference between what we need in life and what we want. Particularly in the West where we just, there's so many things that we think we need, but actually we don't. They are our wants, not our needs. In Philippians 4 verse 19, Paul says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Not all your wants, but all your needs. And this isn't just about money or food, it's about all the things, jobs, relationships, families. God knows what we need, and he has promised to supply those needs. He promised to supply them and meet the needs of the Israelites, and he promises to supply those needs for those of us today who follow Jesus. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And he may sometimes, and he does sometimes, give us way more than what we need. That's fantastic when that happens. But we can trust God to provide for our needs. And the question is this, will we trust God? Will we trust him to provide for us every day? The Israelites didn't. And we're going to see this in the coming weeks repeatedly. They, they failed to trust in God. But look at this, and, and, and write this on your outline. God wants me to trust him to provide my needs, not my wants. God wants me to trust him to provide my needs, not my wants. And there is a big difference. We may have all sorts of wants, and maybe most of them are entirely legitimate. But God wants us to be satisfied with what he knows we actually need. And there is a world of difference. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote those words, a man who was unmarried, had very little money, 
and endure great physical suffering for the sake of sharing the good news about Jesus. He said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's a massive thing to say, isn't it? I, I, it's not, I couldn't say that. But that's something we should be aiming for, isn't it? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And that kind of contentment can only come through having faith in God, through having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. That kind of contentment where we say, I have no other need of anything else. Not just stuff I might want, and if, and if it comes, it will be great. But my needs are fully met in the Lord Jesus. Those deepest needs that Joel showed about us, uh, that spoke earlier to us. Jesus meets those deepest needs. So often in life we go looking for those needs to be met in other things. And yet those needs are deeply met and completely met in the person of Jesus. Verse 16, we read that this is what the Lord has commanded. Each one has to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And then in verse 18, we find out what was meant to happen next. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. So the idea was that they would go out, they would collect the manna in the morning. They would bring it back to their tents. And each person was then meant to keep one omeri, about 2.2 litres. The person who gathered a lot, there might have been a young guy who was really fit and could go out and gather 10 omers, he got loads of stuff. Might have been an elderly person next door who had broken the leg and couldn't get very much or anything. And the idea was then, the person who gathered 10 would just keep one omer, and the nine that he had spare, he would share with those who weren't able to collect and gather what they needed. And the net result was that everybody had what they needed that would supply them for that day and then God would do it all again the next day. It's a beautiful example of really quality. They didn't need to hoard the bread from heaven that God was miraculously supplying because God had promised that I will supply your needs today and tomorrow and the next day and actually for 40, for 40 whole years. And those that were less able to gather manner each day were provided for by those who were able the problem was that some of the Israelites didn't trust God to provide for their needs. They didn't trust him that he knew best and that he knew what they needed. And if you've seen some of the uh, clips going around the, the internet this week of people in Australia fighting over toilet rolls and desperately, you know, people actually fighting over getting hold of toilet rolls because of the coronavirus and worried that the, the supplies might run out. This is kind of what happened here. People didn't trust God to, to provide them what they needed the next day. So they just gathered as much as they could and kept it for themselves. They weren't prepared to trust God for the future. And they weren't prepared to share the excess that God had enabled them to gather with those who needed it. When they went out, sorry, when they went out each day to collect the manna, they were only allowed to keep the manna for that day. They were forbidden to keep it till the next day. And on a, and on a Friday, they had to then collect twice as much so that they didn't have to do any work on the Sabbath on the Saturday. And the reason for that wasn't because it would go off, although as we'll find out it did, but it was to teach the Israelites to trust God. It was to teach them to provide, that, that, that he would provide for them each and every day. God only gave them enough for that day. He didn't give them 40 years of supplies or even 40 days of supplies. He just gave them a day at a time. And so often in life, God does that for us. God only gives us what we need. He doesn't give us everything we want. All up ahead, we have to wait in faith and trust him for tomorrow. I've got enough for today, and I trust him for tomorrow. And that's really difficult. That can be really challenging at times, to have that kind of faith, to believe what God has done today, he will do again tomorrow. He will supply my needs. But that's what God does here. 
But look what happens in verse 20. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. God was teaching them a fundamental lesson. They needed to trust him and not rely on themselves. But some of them weren't prepared to do that. Some of them kept the man for the next day. I don't really trust God. I'm just going to gather a bit more and I'm going to keep it for tomorrow. And basically what they were saying is I don't really believe God's going to show up and do the same thing tomorrow. I can't really put my trust in God to provide for me. Some of these Israelites had a very tight-fisted approach to their food. It was God who provided for them miraculously this bread from heaven. And he had promised to provide for them every day. But instead of using just what they needed, that one omer, that two and a bit litres, and they're giving away what was left over, they tried to hoard their food. And they kept what others needed. And they made two mistakes in doing this. They didn't trust God, firstly, to provide for them the next day. And they weren't, secondly, prepared to share what they had with those in need. And as followers of Jesus, we are meant to learn from these Old Testament accounts. It's important to stress that they weren't and, and, and we're not forbidden to save money. That's not what this uh, event is about. We're not told to have empty cupboards at the end of the day. These instructions were specific to the Israelites in that particular setting, but the general principles still apply to us today, and we're meant to learn from them. And the New Testament reinforces this. Jesus reinforces it. The Apostle Paul reinforces it. Jesus says this to us, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Bible says that every good thing we have in life is a gift from God, and he wants us to put those good gifts that God gives us, whatever they might be, to use for his glory and to help other people. He wants us to use those things in ways that will honour him and will help others. That's what it means to love God and love my neighbour. He wants us to use it in ways which will impact other people's lives for eternity. The excess that we gather that God gives us in his blessings, he wants us to use that for his glory and to help others. What he doesn't want us to do is hoard out possessions for ourselves. You know, I'm going to go into that shop and I'm going to buy all the milk so nobody else can get it. Or all the toilet rolls, or whatever it might be. Followers of Jesus are not meant to hold on tightly to their possessions. It was Spurgeon who said, the last thing to be converted is a man's wallet. <laughs> so true, isn't it? We hold on tightly sometimes to our wallets. We hold on tightly to our possessions. Followers of Jesus are not meant to do that. They're meant to hold them lightly. as stewards carrying it to see how we can use what he's given us to bless others with and to bring glory to God. See, some of these Israelites had collected more manna than they needed, and that was fine. It wasn't a sin to collect more. The sin was to keep it and not share it with others. It's not a sin for Christians to earn way more than they need. Some of you have been blessed with great jobs and you earn great salaries. That's fantastic. Good for you. That's great. It's not a sin to have that whatsoever. The problem is when we hold and when we hold on to that which God has blessed us with, and we don't hand it over to God, we don't give it back to God and use it to bless others with. And what had happened in, in, in Israel's day, it meant they were depriving others who were in need, but it also meant that they were failing to trust God to provide for them the next day. Now please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying we shouldn't save, 
I'm not saying we shouldn't plan for the future. In fact, the Bible, I think, is quite clear that we should do that. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's not saving, it's not being wise about money and investing it, but that's not the issue. The issue is why we're doing that. Hoarding and saving for self, and just for the sake of it, for that kind of imaginary rainy day, that's not what Jesus wants from those who love him. He's looking for his followers to have a loose hold, a, a, a loose grip on their wallets and on their possessions. And he's wanting them to be willing to share that, the blessings that God has given us with those around us who have needs. Paul, speaking about this very subject in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, says this. He's talking uh, to Christians in Corinth. And he's talking about a situation where there was a famine in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were, were almost starving. And he's trying to encourage the Christians in Corinth. Look, have a collection. I'll take it with me. And I'll go and relieve the hard-pressed brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And this is what he says. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, and he quotes from Exodus 16, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So Paul takes this Old Testament principle, this, this real events of the manner, and of not holding on, and of, and of only keeping one over, and sharing the excess, and he takes that principle and he applies it to what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus uh, several thousand years later. He uses the example of the Israelites and the manner, and he uses that principle to challenge Christians, followers of Jesus, to live in a similar way. God wants us to live much simpler lives. And when we have provided for what we need, to then look around us and see, well, God has blessed me with an excess, so how can I bless others? What needs can I meet around me? What needs can I meet in my church family, in my wider family, in the people around us? Sometimes there'll be people in our own church family that, that we become aware of that have real financial needs. We often don't aware of that. People often are, understandably are very private about finances, and, and that's understandable. But we need to get to know each other better so that when we are, we be all, so that we can become aware that my brother here, my sister here seems to have some financial restrictions, some financial needs. I might be able to help them there. That might be a single parent, might be refugees, might be those who are out of work. How can I? the excess that I've gathered bless those who in the current situation are not able to get. Sometimes that will be other Christians in parts of the world where they have real financial needs because of persecution or famine or both, and a great way to put that into practice is to give to uh, an organisation like Barnabas Fund who supports the persecuted church. Persecuted Christians are often the poorest people in the whole world. They often live in the poorest parts of the world and then are denied access to uh, good things because of their faith. Now, I put the Barnabas Fund website on your outline. If that's something you sense God is prompting you to say, yeah, I, you know, I could give £10 a month, I could give £50 a month, whatever it might be, to the Barnabas Fund, that that would go and bless my brothers and sisters that I'm never going to meet, but in other parts of the world, who right now are starving. It also means giving to help Christians who leave their paid jobs. <coughs> to serve God full-time 
to, who are going to live by faith and are trusting God to provide for their needs, whether that's in this country or abroad. We've currently got two of our own young people, haven't we, uh, doing a Christian gap year, first serve. And it's been great to see how this church has really blessed and helped Chris and Naomi with their finances. It's fantastic. It's this kind of stuff in practice, living it out. But we've also got our very own Lucy Atkins, who I know will be feeling awkward right now, but nevertheless, we're going to continue. Lucy is going to be going abroad to serve God full time, living by faith, on salary, looking to God to provide her needs. And as a as commending church, it is our primary responsibility to provide for her. That's going to mean sacrifice. It means I might have to do without a takeaway this month so I can afford to give so that Lucy is able to function out there in her ministry. And if that's something that God is, is prompting you about, is challenging you about, is speaking to you about, then please do speak to Paul. Paul Mullis, our treasurer, who I'm sure will be delighted to help you set up a standing order or whatever to help with that. See, God wants me to provide for others' needs. Write that on your album. God wants me to provide for others' needs. God sometimes miraculously does provide for people's needs. But the principal way in which God provides for needs is through other believers who have excess, saying, you have little, I have a lot, here's some of mine. God won't force you to do that. He wants you to make your possessions, your abilities, your home, your time available for others so that within God's family need. And those in need aren't just local to us, although they may well be, but there are millions of people across the world today, especially those in God's family, who are in desperate need. And those of us who have a bit more than we need can provide for us for those who aren't able to collect what they need. Can I challenge each one of us today to, to look around us, especially within our own church family, and, and look at not, not just financial needs, but what needs exist in my church that I might be able to meet? How can I meet my brother's needs, my sister's needs? To look around the world today and, and, and see the millions without food or, or drinking water or access to health care and ask ourselves, how can I meet their needs? What can I do? What can I do to meet their needs? I said earlier that these events in Exodus were real events that we can learn from today as the Bible teaches us to. But these events also pointed forwards and point forwards to Jesus. And that Jesus was the true fulfillment of these events. Jesus compared himself, as Joel said earlier in the service, to the bread from heaven. He compared himself to the manna. The Israelites say, in fact, he said that through God providing the, the manna, although that was a real event in history, it was also pointing forwards to a time when he would come into the world and die and rise again. This is what he said on one occasion in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. It's a crazy, strange thing, isn't it? To say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Well, bread is one of the most basic foods around the world, and it still is for many, many people on the planet. And Jesus says, look, if you want to live, then you need to feed on what I can provide. Now, of course, we've thought about how God supplies our physical needs, but here Jesus is talking about something different. We've all got physical needs, but we've also all got spiritual needs. And our spiritual needs are much greater than our physical needs. So what's Jesus on about here? What are those deep spiritual needs that we have? What is this spiritual hunger that every single one of us has? that Jesus, and only Jesus, can meet. Well, you see, Jesus gave his life upon a cross so that all who trusted him 
could receive forgiveness, a relationship with God and have eternal life. And our deepest need, the deepest need that we have, even if we don't realise it, is to be forgiven by the God who made us. And to be forgiven by the God who we sinned against, so that we can come into a relationship with him, that we can have peace with God and receive eternal life. Jesus' body, Jesus' flesh would be cruelly put to death on that cross. You'd be punished by God the Father for all the wrong things that you have done and said and think, and all those wrong things that I do. So that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, if we're trusting in him, then we can receive the benefits of what his death and resurrection have accomplished. It's like we're feeding on Jesus and what he's done for us. Not physical food, spiritual food. Look at what Jesus says further down in John 6. I am the bread of life. And he's talking back about Exodus 16. He says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus is reminding his listeners about how God fed their ancestors back there in Exodus 16. But even though they ate the manna physically, and it kept them going each day, eventually everybody who ate that manna did die, because physical food can only do so much. We all need to eat to live physically, but it doesn't matter how much bread, or manna in that case, we might eat, we will all die at some point in life. And the point is this, much more important than our physical life, than our physical needs, is our spiritual life. If we feed on Jesus, in other words, if we ask him to become our Lord and Saviour, and make him our Lord and Saviour, then we will be given the real food that satisfies forever. Then we'll be given eternal life. <coughs> life in heaven with God forever. Eternal life that starts right now. Life with a capital L. When you eat bread, you get hungry again, don't you, within a few hours. But when you ask Jesus into your life, then you will never hunger again. Not physical hunger, but spiritual hunger. Your life will have discovered its true purpose and meaning. We have all sorts of needs in our lives, but ultimately, they are all irrelevant if we don't have our greatest need met. And we go looking for that greatest need to be met in all sorts of things. We go looking in money, in sex, in careers, in status, in all kinds of stuff that we think will meet that deep need that we just haven't quite realised that deepest need is to be connected with God through Jesus. And we try and fill that void within us, that need, that hunger, that thirst, however you want to put it. We try and fill that need with all sorts of stuff. But here's the deal. If I want my greatest need to be met, I need a relationship with Jesus. If I want my greatest need to be met, I need a relationship with Jesus. Your greatest need today, my greatest need today, is not money. It's not a relationship. It's not a job. It's not a home. Important though those things are, your greatest need, my greatest need today, is a relationship with God through Jesus. Because when we trust in Jesus, when we make him our Lord and Savior, then our sins are removed, we have peace, we get to be God's friend, God's children, and we receive eternal life. That is the deepest need that every single human being has on this planet. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then can I challenge you to open your heart to him today, making your Savior, and eat that bread that enables you to live forever, that bread that satisfies. That's a step that you can take this morning to say, I've been looking in all the wrong places, and I realised this morning that only Jesus can really satisfy. And I'm going to, as it were, kind of eat the bread that Jesus offers. 
Sometimes, even though we've begun a relationship with Jesus, we wander off, don't we? And we start eating other kinds of bread. We start eating at other people's table. We think, or we take our eyes off bread of heaven, and we think, actually, this will satisfy me, this will satisfy me. And we begin to look, and we begin to eat in other places. And maybe that's you this morning. You've been eating bread from somebody else's table. Somebody other than Jesus. You've been trying to satisfy your needs by filling them with other things in life. Some of them might be good things, but ultimately not the best thing. I encourage you this morning, if that's been you, if you've been wandering away and eating from other people's tables, come back this morning and eat the bread of heaven. Come back and connect with God through Jesus. Those of you, perhaps lots of you this morning, have done that in the past. The challenge for us also is to look to God to provide for our physical needs. Not our wants, but our needs. He's promised to, and God never breaks the promise he makes. And some of you this morning will be looking out in the future and wondering, how will God provide my needs? Trust God to provide your needs. Not necessarily your wants, but he will meet your needs. If he calls you, he will equip you and provide you. And will you today use what God has given you, that excess, to ensure that other people's needs are met? Let's just pause, close our eyes, bow our heads for a moment. I'm going to pray in a second, and uh, then we're going to come up, we're going to sing together, Bread of Heaven. It's a fantastic rousing hymn, but let's not just get lost in the great rousing thing of spouting out a great hymn. This morning, let's make this a real step of commitment and saying, Lord Jesus, I want to feed on you. You are the Bread of Heaven. Feed me now and evermore, and it's only you that I will come to to be you are the bread of heaven. Will you guide me? Great Jehovah, Lord, would you guide me through this desert world? I want to give myself once again to only being fed by you, and trusting you, and living for you always. Bread of heaven, feed me now and anymore. Let's just take a moment and just respond to God, however God is speaking to you this morning. Pray this morning, bread of heaven, feed us now and evermore, we pray, in Jesus' name.